now a long time. Switched it over to Wednesday nights, and uh, we'll be here tonight and for a while. And uh, we're going to go back to the verses we were in last week and dive in deeper here and get some more things. Does anyone need a handout tonight? If you didn't get a handout and you want one to follow along, if you slip your hand up. we got Barbara right there, and I think everyone else is good. All right. And nice work back there, Ryan, getting the job done. And so that's good. Ephesians chapter number 4. I want to also ask you to keep, uh, keep the fachetes in your prayers. Maria, her mom, passed away. Um, early, early Tuesday morning, and so they're going to be doing some things, and I'm going to be uh, they're having me do the service and things. We're going to do that on Saturday morning here, and just pray for them and for their family. And so um, her mom had been sick for a few weeks, not dra- you know some of you saw her here around Christmas with the Christmas play and things, and uh, it went downhill very fast. And then, um, but we thank the Lord for heaven and the hope we have of heaven. And so just keep them in your prayers. And uh, we look at Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. We look at verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. I love that verse, verse number six. We read our text here, and we talked about last week the importance of maintaining the unity of the church. And tonight we're going to continue on that thought and look at some more thoughts here in this passage tonight. When we looked at our last study here last week, and as we are going through the verses here, we saw and we spoke specifically how Paul was pleading for the church to have unity and to be unified with one another. The word unity, it means agreement. And he goes on to say that it's only possible when we allow the Spirit of God within us to cause us to walk together as one. We need His help and able to do that. And when we look at it, and you might say, oh, pastor, do we have issues in our church, and that's why we're studying unity and uh, one another on Sundays? No, I don't know of any big problems going on in our church. If there is big problems, stop it and be a Christian and do what's right and be the type of Christian you should be. I was talking with the teenagers earlier today, and uh, just I went through in my Bible ring for the year, been going through Joseph. And I read through the Bible every year and getting through the life of Joseph. And after all that happened to him, his brothers sell him into slavery. They hated him. All that happens there. He ends up a slave in Egypt in Potiphar's house. He ends up second in command in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife lies about him. He goes to prison for that. And in prison, God is still with him. God's still working in his life. And we see that you have the chief butler and the chief baker. Both of them are in prison. They have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dream and tells them to remember him. And then finally Pharaoh has a dream. Oh yeah, there's this guy in prison to help me with my dream. And he goes before Pharaoh and he's able to explain things to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh himself did not know who the God of heaven was. The God of Israel, the God of heaven, our God. And he said, can there be anyone like this guy Joseph who has the spirit of God in him? Man, if we could just pick up on 
being filled with the Spirit of God, and that was a heathen king that noticed it. How do people know that we're Christians? By our love for one another, by the unity that should exist among the believers in the house of God. And so tonight, as we look at all this, at the end of the day, you want to break down last week's message, and as we go forward, it's this. Unity in the church comes down to two things. Are you ready? Number one, we must love one another like God commanded us to. That's what we need to do. We must love one another like God commanded us to. Matthew 22, verse number 39. And it tells us, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. At the end of the day, if we want to be united together and have unity exist, two things we need. We need to love one another like God commands us to. And secondly, we must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God and let Him work in our lives. He indwells every believer. And just because He indwells you does not mean that you are filled with His power. You, as you yield to Him, you walk in the Spirit. We talked about on Sunday the old man and the new man, and how the old man is still there even though you're saved. An old man, new man, there's a battle that goes on between the two. An old man, there's certain things the old man likes. The new man doesn't like those things. And you, it, when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When we walk in the Spirit, there will be unity in the church. There will be a love for one another, but it comes through the Holy Spirit. When we have problems with each other, it's because of our flesh that we have those problems, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight as we dive into things. And so with that in mind, I want to get a little deeper here tonight and continue to talk about maintaining the unity of the church, part number two tonight. We saw how we need to, um, and we talked to you about maintaining the unity of the church and the plea for unity. As we dive in, you see number two tonight, and last week was number one. That's why tonight's number two. It's not a misprint there. Number two, the problem of unity. The problem of unity. Look at what it says in chapter number four and verse number three. Look at that little phrase there. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we have to work hard to guard the unity of the church, guess what? It means that the unity in the church is a fragile thing. The unity of the church is something that could be given away very easily. Since we're commanded to guard the unity in the church, it stands to reason that we are the ones who caused the unity of the church to fail, right? Think about that for a minute. I heard it said, and I like this, if it weren't for the people, the church would be a great place. But without the people, there is no church, because the people are the church. And while we, the people, are the church, we, the people, are also the problem in the church. And that's true. All of us. We, the people who make up the local church, the ones who are to be the guardians of unity in the church, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, are the greatest danger to unity in the church. You say, why? Are you ready? We're all sinners. We all have a fallen nature. We are all sometimes selfish, self-centered. We all like things to be done our way. 
We get jealous easily when someone else succeeds. Or we get jealous when they get blessed or promoted. We get angry when we think we've been wronged. We, get out, we act out of spite to hurt those who've hurt us. We fail to forgive the wrongdoings of others that have been done to us. We fail to love God the way that we should. And when we don't love God like we should, you cannot love one another. There's a reason why it's one and two. Without one, you're never going to do two. Because number one is what helps you do number two. They work together. I think you understand what I'm saying. And when we talk about this, to sum it all up, if we're to sum it all up, the problem of unity, it's this. We are different from one another, and this is the greatest threat to unity in the church. That's always the problem in a nutshell. Well, I don't want to talk about the problem because I don't like talking about how bad I am. So I want to talk about the path to unity. How do we get there? The path to unity tonight, number three. If you look back with me at our text, and I want you to go back up to verse number two, it tells us how to get unity, how to keep unity. Paul mentions several characteristics that each of us should have. And these characteristics, if they are true in our lives, they'll help us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The only way we will ever fulfill, and look at verse number one. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. That's a high order. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The only way we could ever hope to balance the scales out as we've talked about, which the word worthy means, the only way it's possible is to endeavor to keep unity in the church. If we really want to live lives that please God and do things God's way and please Him, then we got to walk in unity. And Paul tells us several ways and how to do that. Tonight, the first thing that we see in verse number 2, it says, with all lowliness. The word lowliness. This word means to think or judge with lowliness, to possess lowliness of mind, it speaks of humility. It's very interesting. In Bible days, at the time of its writing, at this time, this word in the Greek form was never found in secular writing. It was a word that was coined by Christians. Roman and Greek societies had no sense of what the word humility would mean. Why? Because a person who was full of lowliness or a humble person is a person who was considered weak, a coward, and unnatural in that society. They looked at anyone who was humble as being so weak. And Paul wanted to use a word to describe what a Christian should be. Paul used a word that was not used very often in society in those days. You see, the Greeks and the Romans believed that a person should be proud. They should be self-satisfied. They believed that everyone who had a low view of themselves was warped and mentally disturbed. And later on, there would be secular writers of that day that would use that word lowliness to describe Christians of that day. 
But this was not a good word in society back in those days. You've got to understand something with me tonight. Just because the world views that word as weak, warped, unnatural, it's the most fundamental of Christian virtues. Without humility, we can never please God. And in fact, when we are humble, we are showing what Christ did and what he, how he acted, what a Christian should be, correct? Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Look at this. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. The God of heaven humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Somebody tell me tonight who God should have to humble himself for. No one. Death is not greater than God. Satan is not greater than God. No one is greater than God. But God in the flesh humbled himself, and he was obedient. He didn't have to be obedient to death, but he humbled himself and he did that. Humility is the opposite of pride. If we were going to define pride, and basically tonight, you might feel like you're getting your, your toes stepped on a little bit. I've been getting my toes stepped on as long as I've been preparing this message. Because the difference between a church that's going to be unified and a church that has schisms and problems in it, one of two things. You either have pride or you have humility. Where pride is found, you're going to have a church not unified because everybody's going to be about themselves. A church full of humble people will be a church full of unity. But naturally for us, the old man does not like humility. The old man likes pride. And you're like, no, pastor, I've never been a prideful person. Whatever, don't tell me that. I know everyone's sitting in this room. I know myself. Pride is an ugly thing that every Christian deals with. I use the verse often, only by pride cometh contention. Nope. If that person just didn't think the way they did, there would have been no problem. Yeah, because you think what you think is better than what they think. Pride. Pride every single time. Pride is defined as a high or ordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether it's cherished in the mind or is displayed in bearing, conduct, etc. Pride is essentially thinking more of yourself than you have a right to. What did Paul say in Romans 12, 3? For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God hath dealt to every man according to the measure of faith. Our world is filled with pride. 
People talk all the time about being proud of their jobs, their possessions, their families, their children. This world brags and boasts about everything. That attitude should not permeate a church. We give awards. We celebrate things. Well, I want you to understand something. Pride needs to get out of the lives of many Christians. Do you realize tonight, pride was at the heart of the very first sin. I will make myself greater than God. Satan himself, Lucifer. Pride. I'm going to be better than God. And what is his whole goal? You read the end times and all that plays out. He wants to be in the temple and seated in Jesus' place. He wants that spot. He wants to be greater than God. That's his whole goal. His whole goal is to get more people to follow him than will follow God so he can be greater than God. His pride's still getting him to this day. Pride was at the heart of Adam and Eve's first sin. It was a tree to make one wise. Ooh. I could be smarter. I could be like God. Pride. Pride. Pride is condemned in the Word of God. Pride's at the heart of every temptation we face. Why? Because we're lifting things up in our minds or in our hearts supposed to cast those things down and never let anything exalt itself above the Lord. Think with me for a minute. When you're living in sin and when you're having, when you're struggling in an area with sin, it just keeps rearing its ugly head. Well, let's say, you know, at school, we'll use, we'll use kids as an example because I don't want adults to think I'm picking on everybody tonight. I'm not picking on anybody. But uh, a kid lies at school. What happens is when you start lying, what happens? Your focus is on trying to think of another lie to cover up the lie that you just told. And you've got to tell another lie because you don't want to get in trouble here because you already lied in this spot. And that lie becomes the controlling thought in your brain. Pride. Pride. As long as we are in this flesh, we're going to battle pride. Pride is a sin of competing with God. When we're proud of our talents, we're proud of our abilities, proud of our education, our knowledge, our possessions, our appearance, our skills, our wealth, we're guilty of pride. Pride will cause you to dominate every conversation. You know, one of the favorite, you think about this, what's the middle letter of pride? I. I don't need to say much more than that. Pride will cause you to be rude and think that you're more important than anybody else. Say, Pastor, I don't have a problem with pride in my life. You do. That statement right there proves it. I want to give you some characteristics of pride tonight. And then then we're going to get to some characteristics of humility as well. We're going to look at some things about pride over the next few minutes, and it's important for you to see it. I want you to see some characteristics. 
And as we go through these, when any of these are true in your life, you have an issue with pride. The first one is being blind, unable to see pride. That's one of the hard things. Most prideful people don't notice the fact that they're prideful. Pride envelops itself in smoke unless you're in the mirror of God's Word and God, by His grace, allows you to see your sin and its magnitude. Many people see the log in others' eyes and maybe a little speck in their own when the truth is we all got logs in our eyes, if we're being honest. They may even say, I'm proud, and move on as if it were not insignificant. But one of the characteristics of a prideful person is being blind and able to see it. The next one is this, being unthankful. We live in a society, and the Bible talks about the fact as we get closer to the day of the Lord returning, that perilous times are going to come. One of the things that you see is that people are unthankful. And when you're unthankful, you get this idea that you deserve what you've been given. Being unthankful. Proud people think they deserve what's good. The result is, why should I be thankful? I deserve that. And even, as a matter of fact, they may even complain because they think they deserve better. They tend to be critical. They tend to be complainers. They grumble, they're discontent and downside of everything. And they're very divisive. You might have pride if you're unthankful. Well, this one. You might have pride if you have outbursts of anger. You withdraw yourself. You pout. They weren't nice to me. Being moody and impatient because one's perceived rights or schedules aren't being met. You aren't making me happy. That's pride. I sat in my office many a times with many married people. They're not meeting my need. Pride. Because you're focusing on you. It's awful quiet when we talk about these things, doesn't it? Whew, here's another one. How, the, how about the perfectionistic type person who wants everything to be the best and everything? They're also proud. Say, why? Because it's self-serving. They brag and talk about themselves all the time. And I'm not talking about. There are many people in the room. I, Caroline's a perfectionist. And... Uh, she plays the piano, and every once in a while, she might hit a wrong key. One out of every ten services, she might hit a wrong key. But when she hits a wrong key, I can always look at the piano. And... Now, if that's being done because she doesn't want to look bad, that's called pride. If she doesn't like missing the wrong piano key because it affects what's going on and it gets your focus off the Lord and that, that's not pride. Big difference in the two. Ryan's a perfectionist. I, got, I work around two perfectionists, and then they've got to put up with me. <laughs> you know, I was looking at this list of talking about pride and different things, and I'm like, the perfectionist one doesn't apply to me because I don't even try. Don't even get close. Perfectionist and me, nope, don't even try because it's not going to happen. It's far from it. 
But remember the other night, the soundboard started talking back to Ryan. Now, I sincerely believe he was upset because he ruined Sandy's song that we are all looking at and praising God for how deep the Father's love for us. But if the only reason he was concerned that it didn't happen right was because he looks bad back there, then that's where pride creeps in. So there's a balance between the two. Being a perfectionist doesn't make you full of pride. I had to clarify that because i got to go home with my wife tonight. And my mother-in-law comes in tonight too. Pray for me in the next couple days. And so, yeah, my mother-in-law is coming. She, she's, she's almost perfect. All but for two weeks I get to spend around. No, anyways, let's keep on going here. How about those who are seeking independence? Some proud people find it extremely difficult to work with anybody else. I can do it on my own. I work independently. No one's going to tell me what to do. It happens often. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to see how I can give this example and be good about it. There, in our church, there are some people that are so talented in so many different areas. But I cannot put anybody else to work with you because it just doesn't work. You've got to work by yourself. That's a pride issue. Because you should be able to work together. There should be, you know, but what happens is my way is the best way. Well, a lot of times, your way probably is the best way. But do you know, I don't always get my way. I always think that Brian's way is the best way. I really do. But I don't always get my way. And it should be okay. Because you think your way is the best way too. It's this natural instinct inside of us. It's pride. It's something that's natural inside of us. And we got to be so careful. You can keep on going with so many other things. Maybe you're, you know, you sit down and talk with someone and you're the one who does all the talking and the other person can't say a word. If your focus is all on you, that's pride. Or it could be Russ calls me and said, Joyce was gone this morning and Rocky won't talk to me. I just need someone to talk to right now. That's not pride. That's just needing to talk. That's different. He doesn't talk very much. He doesn't talk very much. Talked about lying a few minutes ago, didn't I? You all get so quiet when we talk about, you know, I could talk about the love of God and the place this lights up. Talk about pride. That look you're giving me tonight, that's pride. Don't, don't hurt the messenger tonight. Being unteachable, you know it all. Give that your superior. You can't learn anything. Let me just tell you something. Every person in this room, you can learn something from. Even one of these teenagers sitting on the front row. Everyone knows something that I don't know. Everyone. Hence, all men can be my teacher. You don't have it all figured out. 
and young people, one of the biggest times in life, you get 16 to 18 in that range, and all of a sudden you think you have life figured out and you got all the answers. You don't. You have nothing figured out yet. Be teachable. Let others help you. When you have 70 and 80-year-olds sitting in a room, they've lived life a lot longer. They've got, so let's say you're 70 years old. Let's just use Russ, you're 73. And you, uh, you know, and you take a 16-year-old. You've lived 57 less years. There's some things that have fifth, in that 57 years that might help you, might come in handy. And then Russ, you at 73, you might help have one of these young people teach you how to turn your computer on sometimes. Or I can't log into my email. Just hit the button, Russ. That's all you got to do. And uh, in other words, we all can learn from one another. Don't ever get an unteach. No, they can't teach me nothing. You'd be amazed. Everyone could teach everyone something. It's called pride. Um, let's see where I'm at on this list. I skipped one not listening very well. They compose what they are going to say while you're speaking. Ever talk to anyone like that? Where they're not paying attention. You know they're just thinking what they're going to say to you. That's pride. Being sarcastic, hurtful, jesting. Something like this. That's just the way I am. That's my personality. Or you hear people, I've heard this one a lot. I'm an A-type personality. Or I heard someone a few years ago, I'm a C-type personality. I don't even know what a C-type personality is. But if that's what a C-type personality is, I don't want a C-type personality. But don't make an excuse. It's called pride. Wanting to be praised. Or, oh, someone has to... Could you please... Could you please help us do something? Because you're, you're so good at that. Some people wait. Pastor, I was just waiting for you to call me to give me that job. A servant asks what they can do. A humble servant. A proud person waits to be called upon. Man, it's awful quiet. We're almost done. We're going to get to humility here in a minute, Okay. And these, these have been beating me up all week. I could, and what you should do later on, you have this list here. You should go through yourself, not with your spouse. <laughs> this is Caroline's right here, and here, and here. Here you go. Work on those. No, 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 no. If you don't even have a paper tonight, grab a paper on the way out and look in your life if any of these things fit and clean it up. Man, I could tell you right now, several of these, I'm like, that's me again. That's me again. And oh man, I'm prideful right now because all I'm doing is thinking about me when I'm looking at these things. Some of you missed that, but that's okay. Being defensive. It can't be my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lacking in biblical prayer and service to others or sacrificial deeds of love. Probably a pride problem. Resisting authority, being disrespectful towards others. We might say they have an authority problem, but it's a pride problem. 
pride is a big deal. Pride is something that's very easy to see in others, but nearly impossible to see in ourselves. Pride is at the heart of all the sin in my life. And all of our problems in human relationships are due to pride. It is the reason that disunity arises in a church. It's pride. It's the reason our services are cold. It's the reason why people don't pray, read their Bibles, attend church like they should. It lies at the heart of every sin. It's pride. But I want you to understand something. This passage didn't talk about pride, did it? I talked about pride tonight. This passage talks about the very opposite of pride. It's a polar opposite. Humility. If we're going to define humility, the dictionary defines it as the quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion, or estimate of one's own importance, rank, etc. The word used here for lowliness literally means a deep sense of one's littleness. A deep sense of one's littleness. Let's talk about humility for the rest of the time that we have. And just when you think you reach the place of humility in your life, guess what? You lost it right then. Did you hear about the preacher who was voted the most humble pastor in America? His congregation even gave him a medal that said he was the most humble pastor in America. And on that medal it said to the most humble pastor in America. They took it away the next Sunday because he wore it to church. <laughs> Humility is something that we'll never see in ourselves. Yet something that others will see in our life. When they mention it, the truly humble person will not see it. Because that humble person's incapable of acknowledging it. Two things I want to give you tonight to help you with humility, and we'll be done. True humility involves two essential components. Ready, number one? First, it involves a proper view of self. In order to be humble, it involves a proper view of self. A truly humble person sees himself as he really is. Our human nature likes to exaggerate the good qualities about ourselves. And we minimize the good in others, we exaggerate the good in us. That's as natural. Our nature is to make ourselves look better than we truly are. Why do people lie about things a lot of times? Because they want people to think better of them than what they truly are. A genuinely humble person will do several things. And there are Bible verses there, and you can look these up at home, but I want to go through this list to make sure you get it tonight. A genuinely humble person knows and confesses that he's a sinner. That's where humi humility begins. That's what salvation's all about. Salvation is not pride. Salvation is humility before a holy God. 
saying, I cannot do this on my own. I am repenting, I'm turning from what I've been doing, and I'm turning to you. And I'm putting my trust in you. That's what a humble person does. A, genu- a genuinely humble person does not compare themselves with others. And that is a bad way to live life. And even the Lord spoke against comparing ourselves among ourselves. Because sometimes what we like to do is you'll look, oh, I'm doing pretty good in my Christian life compared to so-and-so. And so-and-so's been saved two years and you've been saved 30. You should be doing better than so-and-so. Big difference. Do you know who you need to compare yourself to? The only one your eyes should be on. The Lord. And you're never going to come close. Oh, I'm doing better than so-and-so. That's because you're looking in the wrong spot. Oh, you look to God. Oh, I'm falling short. Getting nowhere close. The genuine humble person realizes that he lacks the ability to do anything by himself, but that everything he has has been given to him by the Lord. One of the first steps of learning true humility is learning to see yourself as you truly are. And most of us are a far step away from acknowledging that. There's nothing more humbling than seeing yourself for who you truly are. Think about the prophet Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw God for who he was. And what's the first thing he said? Whoa, I shouldn't be here. I'm unclean. He got a proper view of self. You see tonight, the two things that you need, the two essential components, first involves a proper view of oneself, and then number two involves a proper view of God. A truly humble person sees God as the source of their salvation. A truly humble person sees God as the source of all righteousness. A truly humble person sees God as the source of all blessing, all success, and all ability. A truly humble person sees God as He is, and that awareness of God causes the humble person to respond in a way that demonstrates humility in their life. Isaiah saw God, he was humbled in His presence. Paul saw God, and he was, and was forced to see himself as he was. Peter saw God as he was, and recognized his own sin. Job saw God as he was and was forced to see himself as he was. And the truly humble person understands that God accepts us in spite of our faults. He loves us like we are. And that's a humbling truth. We, and that's where sometimes pride creeps into our lives as Baptists. That's why one of the reasons we've gone through the book of Ephesians, you cannot make God love you anymore or get a close bond to him because you do certain things in your life. That's prideful. That's the wrong idea because God's love does not change for anyone. His love is already there. You've been made accepted. You are right with Him. You've been made righteous not by anything you've done. It's all by what He has done for us. And sometimes we get so caught up in you need to do this, you need to do that. 
before you do anything, you're already accepted in Him. Because it's all in Him. He did it all. He did it. Not me. We all got to come to the place where we understand the fact that God's not impressed with our education, our fame, our abilities, our skills, our achievements, our separation. Because we are nothing without Him. When we rely on our accomplishments, that's why Paul could say, I count all things but dung. Those things mean nothing. Because Christ is everything. We must be honest about who we are. And get it? We are nothing. I know if you were going to go to a self-help class, they would not tell you to tell yourself you're nothing. You are somebody. You are special. And you are special to God. That's why he loved you the way, in spite of who we are. But I want you to understand something tonight. We are nothing without him. But with him, we are everything. Think about that one for a little bit. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 18, verse number 14, it says, For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. When we talk about humility and pride, we talk about it because pride hinders us from living like Christ would have us live. Pride and humility... Those two things are what fits into the unity of the church. When pride is present, there will be no unity. When humility is present, unity will prevail. I want you to realize something, and something that you should realize tonight. Life is not all about you and me. It's not. Life is not all about what I want. It's not all about my feelings. It's not. Everything in life is to bring glory and honor to God, correct? I think we can agree with that. That's why humility has got to be in our lives. Go with me to um, 1 Peter chapter number 5. Verse number five, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's probably 
six months ago, eight months ago, I picked up on the fact that verse number six is a colon there. We will often pray. We're supposed to preach, cast all your care upon God. He cares for you, and he does. But you see the key ingredient that's missing before you cast all your care upon him? You need to come humbly. You need to humble yourself before him. God, why are you doing this in my life? God, resist that. Like, man, pastor, just doesn't feel like I have God's grace in my life through the situation. It might be the pride that's developed inside of you through it. You've got to humble yourself. Then you're like, well, the Bible says I can come boldly before the throne of God. And you can. Praise God that we can. But we need humility. If you're going to get humble, it's going to happen when you get a proper view of yourself when you get a proper view of God. One of the best ways to stay humble is to stay in the book. Because man, I get beat up all the time. Another way to stay humble is stay in prayer. A Christian that spends time with God is less likely to be more proud than someone who doesn't. Because a praying Christian admits the fact they need God. And the more time you spend with God, the more you see who He truly is and who you truly are. There are times in my life, and I, I wish I could say there are more often, and they need to be more often. It's been a while. And one of my favorite things that I've done in the past, I love spending multiple hours with God in prayer. Especially through the night. Now, it's been probably a couple years since I've done it, and I should do it way more often than what I do. But it's an amazing thing the more time you spend with the Lord that you truly get lost in who He truly is. And what happens in life, life goes on around us. And we know that God's wonderful. We know that He's saved us. He's done all these things but we truly lose the proper view of God that we should have. So one of the reasons why the Lord's Supper is important to a church that as busy as life gets, we never lose sight of what the Lord did for us. And we keep that prevalent in our minds. Prayer, Bible study, worship, it all helps us in our humility. And I want you to understand something tonight. When we look at these things and we talk about these things, if we are going to be a church that's unified together, we must be humble people. Whatever position you have in the church, be it pastor, be it trash taker outer, we all need to be humble. We all need to work together for the cause of Christ. The only way to walk worthy of vocation where we're called is to have unity in God's house. And it starts by being humble. Next week, we'll see more on that thought. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the time that we've had here tonight and for your love for us. Help us to be humble.